And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tyson. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing very, very well. I am pepped up. I'm very peppy today and feeling great. I don't know what it is. Woke up early this morning, too. Like super, super early, not by choice. And just, yeah, in a good mood. I'm really, really, I think maybe it's this category that we're talking about today that has me so pepped up. So doing very well. Earlier this summer, uh, the dates are a little bit hard to pin down because of how we're releasing these. But so far in this off season, we have done the whole very good, which we do every single year. It's one of our favorite shows to do, just remembering some guys. And that show is about players that we don't think rise to the level of Hall of Fame worthy. You know, they're probably not going to get in, but we still think their career is worth celebrating. This show is about putting guys in the Hall of Fame. This is the 2023 edition of Canton Court, where we make a case for each of these players to be in the Hall of Fame. Often it's going to be guys that probably have iffy cases that probably need a little bit of a nudge that have been semifinals that didn't get in. I went against that this year because I just wanted to talk about a guy after looking at some of his numbers in relation to someone else. So we don't really have hard and fast rules for how this works. Yeah. The idea is we're arguing for guys that should be in the Hall of Fame and making the case for them. Hall of Very Good has slowly morphed with some rules. Like we're starting to put a couple on there like, oh, you can't have more than like four pro bowls or something like, like we're, yeah. we're starting to put some rails on it, like some ceilings and limitations on it. But this one's just whatever. <laughs> good. Very good. Awesome. Hall of Fame. Yeah. Let's argue for it. Well, the problem is I thought we were doing guys who had have to be eligible and that were semifinalists. But then I remember I did Philip Rivers in the first uh, so, court that we did. That's what happened to me too. I was, I, th- I thought th- those were the rules and I saw Philip Rivers. I, I did stick with the original rules, but I, it's whatever. It really is whatever to me. It's however you want to do it. But I, cause we have to mention rivers. I mean, that you have to mention rivers. I mean, there's he's so my, much. He's to me, he's the best version of this argument. It's like, all right, he's probably not going to get in or it's going to be an argument for why he has to get in. Here's yeah. the case. Yeah. So that's, that's why I had to do him in year one. So I think that kind of gave us some flexibility moving forward. Again, I have two guys that have been eligible and have not gotten in that I think we, they need a little bit of an argument. I have one guy who's probably going to walk in, but I just think it was worth remembering some of his accomplishments and reminding people when he becomes eligible next year why he should walk into the hall of fame i like that it it just and it's important to kind of recall that so we each have three guys here that we're going to talk about we don't know who the three guys no are for each other which is fun so why don't you trot out your first one here who is your first entry into the canton court argument for 2023 do you want to name off like who we listed the first time around? Sure. Like, who sure. We, okay. So my the last time we did this, I did Rondé Barber, who's in now. So yay. Tony Baselli, who's now in as well. Tori Holt. And then Kevin Williams was graduated from the Hall of Very Good to Canton Court. I graduated him. I, I He got the bump. He got promoted to that uh, before we did that show. So those were my four the first time we did this. So then, I did Devin Hester, yes, who has not gotten course. in yet and absolutely should get in. Yes. Patrick Willis. 
that's the one I feel strongest about. Like, like obviously, that. I love Devin Hester, but like Patrick Willis should be in the Hall of Fame. He has five yeah. first team All Pro selections. <laughs> like, yeah, he he should be in the Hall of Fame. Like, it, it's it, not even a one conversation. Of the best to defenders me. in the league for a half a decade. That's yes. like just that's plenty. That should be plenty, at least that in. <laughs> in my how I how I count these things, so I agree. He with had that one six years in the start of his career where he was either first or second team All Pro in those six years. He was the defensive yeah. rookie of the year. Like even if he only played for eight seasons, like Patrick Willis should be in the Hall of Fame. I firmly Absolutely. believe this. And then I did Philip Rivers just because I this is one of my things. It's it's one of my hills <laughs> that I'm going to die on, and I am firmly ready to die on it. So those are the three okay. guys that I put forth last time. We did not do this last year for. I don't know reasons. I'm not sure why we didn't do it last year. Probably just ran out of show slots for May and June, I, and that's how it worked. But I we was are, looking for a Google Doc. It. I was looking so deep in my Google Docs, even looked by date to try and find it, and couldn't find it. So thank, uh, it made me feel a little bit better about my sorting system, my chaotic sorting system. All right, who's your first guy? Let's do this. First one. Uh, this one I feel like is an easy case to argue for it, even though he's been a semifinalist, hasn't made it yet, and that is Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson and is also my first one. That I knew it. I, that I told you on the pre-show. I think we're gonna have the same one, especially since we both mentioned him on the last show we did, and because uh, he was on my brain. Ah, uh, man. I mean, where do you want to begin? I, I last time I argued for Tory Holt, and I think Andre Johnson's got way more of a case than Tory Holt when you start breaking it down. Two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro. 17 pro seven time pro bowler. I mean, those are damn good marks for especially a position like that. And especially Tw- the era in which he played. Correct. Where there were also a lot of really good receivers. And I think you could make an argument during this stretch that he was right there with any of them. Absolutely. So why don't you lay out a couple things and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll tap into the stats that I want to throw out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Counting stats or accolades. I think he's gotten both covered, but you know, twice led the NFL in receiving guards and receptions. I think that's a good point in his favor, but I'll, I'll even say, I'm just gonna go with the accolades. Uh, more first-team All-Pros than Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, Michael Irvin, Art Monk, Andre Reid, Anquan Bolden. I could keep going on for that. More Pro Bowls than Reggie Wayne, Steve Smith, uh, Michael Irvin, uh, Art Monk, Isaac Bruce, same as uh, Julio Jones, same as Torrey Holt. Those are just the accolades, and that speaks to how damn good Andre Johnson was. <laughs> he was, and we talked about this on the show previously, or I can't say last week, but at some point in May or June when that show came out, uh, he was the epitome of the NFL X. He's your true X receiver. He's the prototype. He's long. He's big. He's a good route runner. He can win physically. He's athletic enough to take the top off and go vertical. He is who Kyle Shanahan shows when he's talking about who he wants as his outside receiver. He shows Andre Johnson tape. That is who he shows. And I think that really speaks to what a player he was, what the prototype he was. I don't want to speak all the points. I'll let you, I'll defer to you now. I'll pass the baton to you, tag you in right now. Stylistically, which is why it's so cool to have watched Andre Johnson. And we talk about that just prototypical X receiver. He's huge, right? So Andre huge. Johnson was 6'3, 230. I mean, he was one of those guys that walked in to being a top five pick and no one even blinked an eye because of yep. what his physical profile looked like. So you go back and you watch like Andre Johnson taper, Andre Johnson highlights. He's that big body just catching slants and getting first downs guy. I tweeted out a clip today. There was a game, I think it was in the 2000, maybe seven season. Yeah. Where they were playing the Titans and they were up by three. The Texans were in the fourth quarter. They threw two smokes to him in like a three-play stretch when they were up by three trying to grind the game out and go down for another score Mm -hmm. when it was like second and nine. And he was just making a guy miss in space and like creating a first down. But he also had gas. Mm -hmm. If if you wanted him to take the top off and you wanted to – 
take a shot down the field? You absolutely could. He was an explosive receiver. He wasn't just a big-bodied receiver. I love this number. Since 2000, he had 28 catches of 40-plus yards where he did not score a touchdown. So just an explosive play that wasn't a touchdown. That's the fourth most since 2000. So he wasn't just a big body guy. Like he was no. a big play threat on top of being that guy who could body somebody up and catch a slant, you know, catch a now smoke screen and take yep. it 10 yards and run somebody over. And then the accolades uh, you mentioned, obviously, the counting stats, he's 11th all time in receiving yards. Yeah. Okay. And the two guys ahead of him, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, those guys played with Peyton fucking Manning. Correct. I, I, Not Matt Schaub. Matt, Andre Johnson <laughs> played with Matt Schaub his entire career. And guess what? I was I was watching again Andre Johnson highlights today, and they were on maybe NFL Live or some show where Trey mm-hmm. Ringo was doing the hosting. And Trey Ringo was talking to Merrill Hodge. Okay. And okay. they were talking about how Matt, now that Matt Schaub was there, they had solidified the quarterback position in Houston after cycling through. David Carr and some yeah. of the other guys that they had early in his career. So Matt Schaub was the savior for the Texans offense in Andre Johnson's career. That's that's all you need to know about the quarterbacks he had played with before Matt Schaub got right. there in 2007. Okay. So speaking of 2007, that's the first year where Matt Schaub arrived. They traded, I think, two second round picks to get Matt Schaub from the Falcons. Here is where Andre Johnson ranked in yards per route run over the from 2007 to 2013, which is like his last full season with the Texans. First, third, third, fifth, first, second, ninth. And you got to remember who else was playing at that time. Yes. That's insane. I mean, that's... There was a long time. It's so easy when you start breaking it down like that. There was a long time. Now he's 16th, you know, Mm -hmm. in yards per game, receiving yards per game in NFL history. But a lot of the guys ahead of him on that list are guys that have been playing recently, Okay. Antonio Brown, Michael Thomas, okay. Cooper Cup, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill, Odell Beckham, Mike Evans. So, and Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, all guys who played most of their careers yep. after Andre Johnson's has ended. And Andre Johnson got to league in 2003, right? He only had like three or four years in what I would call the passing boom era. Mm-hmm. And he was still 16th. And this is if you include the last two years when he was doing nothing on the Colts. His last season, he played nine games. He averaged 10 receiving yards per game with the Colts. So if you look at the bulk of his career, he was one of the most effective, efficient, productive receivers on a per-game basis in NFL history for the first decade of his career. In a run-first, boot-heavy offense yeah. with Matt Schaub as his quarterback. Yes. Like it's, that's why that yards-per-route run stat is such a good one because of just the opportunities that he had, not just targets, but just pure opportunities that he had every game. My first exposure to Andre Johnson was against Nebraska. And uh, when Miami played, just throttled yeah. Nebraska in the Rose Bowl. And he, when you're saying take the top off, that's what I remember. And he, even when he listed his size, when I looked it up for this exercise, I was, I was looking it up and I was like, man, I remember him being like, Six two two ten. You know that's how I pictured him in my brain because he moved like that. He doesn't move like he's six three two thirty. He runs a full route tree with thirty four inch arms. Like he's 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 he was incredible. And um, I Andre mean, Andre Johnson like, was six two two thirty at the combine. Okay, he ran a four four forty. He had a thirty nine inch vertical leap. Yeah, and free. he had a 132 inch broad jump, which is 94th percentile in the broad jump. Just we never we monster. never call him a freak though. We always talk about Julio or yeah. Calvin Johnson. He was right Julio here. before Julio. 
Correct. If yeah. you look at a lot more, of aspects, a more polished at the time when he came into the league, a little bit more polished than Julio was. If you look at the aspects of his game in terms of how he could win, being you know yeah. just insane production, the yards per game, Julio I think is still the NFL. The he leads the NFL history in yards per game. Julio does mm-hmm. at eighty eight, which is insane. And the other similarity between them, they did not catch a lot of touchdowns. So this is going to be the argument against Andre Johnson when it comes down to it. Andre Johnson, in his career, okay, only caught 70 touchdown passes, which yeah. is 39th since the merger. Okay, Wesley Walker has one more touchdown catch. Uh, Mar- <laughs> Marcus Colston has two more touchdown catches than Andre Johnson. Andre has 13 Johnson. more. And he'd only played a handful of yeah. seasons. Okay, yeah. you know there are a lot of guys ahead of him on this list. Irving Fryer call. has 84 touchdown catches. Shout so that, out Irving Fryer. <laughs> so that is the argument against Andre Johnson. Okay. Yeah. So let me let's throw some stats out though. Okay. From 2003 to 2012, the first decade of Andre Johnson's career, he had 37 targets in goal to go situations. Okay. 37. That's 17th in the NFL. I was going to say that's Larry yeah, Fitzgerald that's... had 61. Tony Gonzalez yeah, had 60. Okay. He had a 65, 64.9% catch rate on goal to go targets. Okay. Exact same as Tony Gonzalez and five spots lower on that list than Larry Fitzgerald. He was 28th. Larry Fitzgerald was 23rd. So yeah. opportunities, opportunities, he was converting just as many of those opportunities yep. in those red zone and goal-to-go passing situations as those guys who were just stacking up touchdown after touchdown. Okay, yep. He was 17th among all players in touchdowns from outside the red zone over that stretch, You know, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. He also had 43 receptions in his career where he was tackled inside the three-yard line. That oh, is he's one of those. That is tied for the fourth most of any player since 2000. So you tack 10 more touchdowns onto that, 15 more touchdowns. We're not even discussing this. Yeah. I mean, he had more touchdowns than Michael Irvin. I mean, if you want to, yeah. I mean, yes, he played a couple more seasons, but those were kind of lost seasons of Johnson's career. But I mean, it still speaks to it uh, how many he had. And when I think start, the touchdowns outside yeah. the red zone thing here. So here's a couple other examples that I think mm-hmm. are helpful. Randy Moss had 45 touchdowns from outside the red zone in his career. 21 of those came with Tom Brady. Okay. During that three year stretch. 21. Yeah. yeah. T.O. had 42 touchdowns from outside the red zone in his career. 20 of those came in the three year stretch with Tony Romo. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. Without that, those things juice it up. Yeah. And the the last stat that I'll mention since 2000, here are the players with more receiving first downs than Andre Johnson Larry Fitzgerald, Tony Gonzalez, Reggie Wayne, who played with Peyton Manning. So, I mean, that, that's it right there. That's the stat. He, he was an unbelievably productive receiver. He, he did everything yep. you need him to do. He was a machine. Uh, he had some injuries, but the counting yep. stats are still there to get him in. The touchdowns to me is the only thing that can keep him out. And I think a lot of that is situational. I, I think yep. that in terms of just skill and what he was as a player, I absolutely think that he deserves to be I, in the Hall of Fame. Counting stats and then the peak of his powers were up there yeah. as far as where he stacked. That's kind of what I look at. I, I don't look at his team accolades too much unless that like is a big barometer, like, oh, Super Bowl MVP or anything like that. But it's, I just think he's kind of a no brainer, especially when you start breaking it down. I remember him being a always counting him amongst the top three, top four receivers, even when I was a kid in high school or college. That I, that's how I consider Andre Johnson. So it's not like he's, you look back and you're like, wow, he had a lot better career than I realized. No, even at the time we realized he was good. 
I, I think what he is, he's a pro type X. I just, I think all encompassing to me, he's a no brainer to be in the hall of fame because he's that type of player. He was, he was the best at his position when he was at the peak of his powers. He had some counting stats, longevity stats, seven time pro bowler. So he's always relevant. Yeah. I just think he's a no brainer. Yeah, two seasons where he played half a season, you know, and he still got to those total counting numbers. And I think yeah. the argument against him is going to be, well, what do we do with this glut of receivers, you know, that isn't getting into the Hall of Fame? Reggie Wayne is another one of those guys. Put Andre Johnson on those Colts teams. Yeah, he would have just been. I mean, Look at what Andre right. Johnson's numbers would be. And Reggie yeah. Wayne was a good player, but I think Andre Johnson was just in a different tier receiver than Reggie Wayne was. There is one guy who will spoil next year. I was I didn't want to do two receivers, but when I was looking at numbers, he has some startling career-long statistics, efficiency stuff. And even if you're not in love with Matt Schaub, Andre Johnson did have consistency at quarterback, right? He played with Matt mm-hmm. Schaub for a long mm-hmm. time. It, it wasn't like he bounced around between a bunch of different guys for the bulk of his career. Steve Smith did. And Steve Smith's numbers are crazy. So I will be doing Steve Smith for next year's Canton Court <laughs> if he did, because I just you can make a great argument for him. But I had already gotten down the road with the Andre Johnson one, and I was like, all right, we'll do Steve Smith next year. I like that. I, I was I was there for Steve Smith's first ever career touchdown. He took the kick return back for the touchdown, and it was the Panthers' only win that year uh, that led to them getting who. Julius Peppers. Julius Peppers, probably. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it must have been 01. Uh, yep. And I was not only that, my job at the time when I was 12 years old was they used to have the pictures and not the Microsoft Surface mm-hmm. tablets. I, I don't say iPads anymore. I'm pretty good about it. And I had to run the pictures to the coordinators and, like, you know, that, go give it to them. That was my job at 12 years old. And that, so literally see the kick. And we, I sat in the end zone. The kick came at me. And so I was 10 yards away from Steve Smith's first touch that turned into a, a return touchdown. So I was there. I have some attachment to Steve Smith. That and then when he did the boat celebration uh, in 2005, which is something we'll never talk about. But yeah, he did that. Those are my two memories of Steve Smith. Oh, he's uh, from my youth. But yes, that's I don't want to go case. too far down the road. But it's also that's another reason why Steve Smith gets in because he's so memorable. Like Steve Smith. Oh, just yeah, has, he's like, iconic. He's, he's an iconic player. So iconic. I, that I, will, matters. I will be making the argument for Steve Smith when we get to this show next June sometime. He's insane, but it's the rule of cool. He he, he was cool when he was playing. Yes. He was a badass. He was awesome. So yeah, I, I'm all for that one. All right, my next one here. This one seems silly, like because he's going to get in. But I, I was looking at some of these numbers and like, holy shit, Antonio Gates's career. Like like <laughs> yes, like, oh yes. my god. And, and here's why I wanted to do this because when we're having conversations about the greatest tight ends of all time, mm-hmm. and we're talking about Gronk, and we're talking about Tony Gonzalez's receiving production. We should start mentioning Antonio Gates when we're talking about the most prolific pass-catching tight ends of all time, okay? Yes. Antonio Gates is the third most receiving yards for a tight end in NFL history. He has the most touchdowns. Antonio Gates caught that. Antonio Gates caught a That's why we're doing this. Antonio Gates caught 116 touchdowns in his NFL career. That is more than Tony Gonzalez, five more. Here are the players in NFL history with more touchdown receptions than Antonio Gates. You ready? Ready. Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Chris Carter, Marvin Harrison, and Larry Fitzgerald. That's, that's the it. whole list. God, I don't think you even have to make a case after that. That's you just, <laughs> he's in. Like he is going that's, to get that in. Should be in. But that's yeah. why I think he's going to get in pretty quickly. But I just want people to not be shocked in 2024 when he You're if right. he does get in on the first ballot because this is some of the stuff that we're dealing with here. Okay. Yep. He had 92 red zone touchdowns. 
over the since 2000, no other player has more than 83. Okay. He was fourth in EPA per target among players with at least 100 red zone targets while getting all those red zone targets. Yeah. To be that efficient in them is absolutely crazy. And also another really memorable player. You yes. know, he, he was a basketball player and he was yes. really one of the first guys that came along to do that. He was seventh in receiving first downs. I was going to ask. 2000 until right now. He was a machine. Seventh. He was seventh yeah. in receiving first down since 2000. This is another one that I, I think is worth bringing up. And this is kind of a backdoor way to talk about Philip Rivers. From 2004 through 2013, the first decade of Antonio Gates' career, the Chargers were tied with the Colts for second in EPA per pass play. During the bulk of Peyton Manning's prime, yeah. the Chargers were tied with the Colts for second. The only team they were behind was the Patriots over that 10-year stretch. Yeah. Antonio Gates was their number one receiver. Antonio the Gates was the focal point of that passing mm-hmm. game when they were as good as the Peyton Manning Colts for a decade. That's fucking crazy. It is crazy. And I, I wish I could pull up the numbers, but let's, especially just on third down, there was nothing more automatic. Like they talk about in hockey, Ovechkin's got his automatic shot, like from the left side and all mm-hmm. that. And, and people, some guys just have the automatic jumper, or the, the sky hook and all that. There's nothing more automatic than like a third and six Philip Rivers to Antonio Gates on like a little eight yards like hook route from the slot. It's automatic. It was automatic. No one could guard it. And that's why he was just a first down machine. This is a great call. Uh, Gates is a star stud. I, I But it's I think also He's almost he a- too good to include here. But I was just like I, when I was looking at some of the numbers for Andre Johnson and I, this stuff kept coming up and I was searching by red zone. I was looking at it. I was like. Oh, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, this is insane, some of the numbers that he put up. He had more receiving yards than Shannon Sharp. I mean, he had, what What else? Like, all the numbers. Almost had 1,000 receptions, which is absurd, especially oh, this, at tight end. You're going you're gonna to love this. I'm, I'm pulling up some of the numbers right now. The first down stats okay. got to be bonkers. So, since 2000, Antonio Gates on third down, the only two players with more First receiving first downs on third down than Antonio Gates were Anquan Bolden and Larry Fitzgerald. That's it? Yes. Larry Fitzgerald had 139 more third down targets than Antonio Gates. He had six more receiving first downs. Antonio Gates converted 61.2% of his third down targets into first downs. That's absurd. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I told you it was automatic. It it it, it was. <laughs> it was every third down. They just peppered him with the same exact route because it was a read route, and he was so good at it because he could turn so tightly. He was amazing. One of my favorite stats that I was looking up was that 2014 Chargers team. Like I really yeah. like that team. It was kind of like the last gasp of, and, mm-hmm. and Keenan Allen was in the league now, so it's this combination of the older Chargers with like this newer skill position group that they were coming in. Antonio Gates was 34 years old that season. He finished 13th in the NFL in EPA per target. He had 69 catches for 800 yards and 12 touchdowns. He was 34 years old. Oh, that's so awesome. What a good player. He and was so, like he, he, unique. And like you yeah. said, he, he's like, uh, like iconic can be used in different terms, but it's like you remember him just even because of his play style. And of course the background of playing basketball, but man, he was just an incredible player. I think at first people treated him like an anomaly, like, oh, that guy's yeah. pretty good. He played basketball. And then over time, it's like, man, this guy's really good. 
oh, shoot, this guy's awesome. No wonder Nick Saban recruited him to Michigan State. Like, this guy's pretty freaking awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned him because Antonio Gates is awesome. So I'm, I'm he's all, no doubt about a Hall of Famer. He's going to get Has into the Hall be. of Fame. But I just, again, he's eligible for the first time next year. And it's like, okay. he should probably just get in. He should probably just be yeah. like a first ballot no Hall way. of Famer with yeah. how good his career actually was when you look at the numbers and you stack it up to not only just players at his position, but just pass catchers, pass catchers. during his career when he was in yep. the league. Yep. Like we say, there's the glut of receivers. It's not like there's a glut of tight ends during that no, time. No, you know, no, no. like there that's what I mean. Tight so ends in not... the Hall of Fame, period. Yeah. So, and he was, yeah, just a special player. Uh, no, so that I think he should walk in. If, like, if, if we're doing this right, he should walk in. I mean, how many tight ends are actually in the Hall of Fame? Isn't there only like 10 or 12? Um, probably about 10. So, Tony Gonzalez, Shannon Sharp, Dave Casper. Kellen, Kellen Winslow, Winslow, Ozzie Newsom, Ozzie Jackie Newsom, Smith, Jackie John Smith. Mackey, Mike Ditka, Charlie Sanders. That's, That's it, right? One, yep. Two, yeah. Three, four, I mean, I, I think six, Antonio Gates six, is in no doubt about it. And obviously, there are going to be other guys like Gronk, Gronk is going to get in. Jason Kelsey. Witten's probably going to get in. Travis Kelsey's probably going to get in. But yeah. I think Antonio Gates is just, a, again, a no doubt about it type player. Yeah, there's only nine tight ends in the hall. We're we're gonna talk about another guard or another uh, guard. I, I spoiled it. We're gonna talk about another position that's underrepresented in the Hall of Fame as well here. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I, I got – should I go with my next one? Yeah. I got I got kind of sort of a underrepresented uh, position. It's offensive tackle, but it's right tackle. And I got Willie Anderson of Cincinnati Bengals fame. It's a good one. And this is this is one I have to maybe argue for, but as you start really breaking down tackle numbers and accolades, because that's all you can kind of live off of with uh, tackle play. It's not really stats. But uh, he started 184 games, including 116 in a row, which is also just incredible. But three-time first-team All-Pro, one-time second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, uh, was around the mid-2000s. He was the kind of 
the guy at right tackle during that time. Like he was the best at his position, that particular position. Uh, but he has like, if you just look at tackles in general, he has the same amount of first team all pros as Orlando Pace. And I get it. That's the left side and all that, but you just got to look at these guys. Same as Tony Baselli, um, who got in and I argued for a few years ago. But like, if you look at a guy, like if we look at guys playing now, Lane Johnson, I think might start battling for a case as his career has gone on. Anderson has more all pros and pro bowls and game games played than Lane Johnson. So like, if you're just looking at a guy playing now to someone playing in the two thousands, um, I don't want to knock any Bears guys here, but uh, uh, what is it, Jimbo uh, Corbett? Jimbo Corbett. Yep. Cor- uh, he's an All of Fame. He only made two All Pros and two Pro Bowls. Like it's like just even just looking at his position and who you're comparing it to. But this was a road grading right tackle at a time when the Bengals were you know the Bengals of old, but they're still setting records with Corey Dillon running for their single season rushing uh, or single game rushing record. Um, he was setting up these offenses that had a great run game and it was behind him because he was such a talented player. So it's not as sexy to talk about offense alignment and because you can't really just point to stats and everything. But this guy, Willie Anderson during the two thousands was the best at his position. Definitively. So I thought, or at least in the discussion first or second, that's why he made these all pro teams on a team that had wasn't team success, but as far as what he was good at, it was because of him, because they were so good at running the ball. Willie Anderson was a big part of that. And I don't know. You just look at that and you look at some of the tackles that made the Hall of Fame, like I brought up. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think this guy is Anderson after time has gone on. Right tackle, we're realizing. I don't know. Maybe that's a modern game, but it's still an important position. Still offensive tackle. I think more guys like him should be represented at a position that still can be slightly overlooked. That's like you said, you're spoiling the guard. These guys are still amazing players, and we should honor all positions, especially the ones that are the best at it for a time. He came on late in his career. You know, he made yeah. his first second team all pro when he was twenty eight. It was his eighth year in the NFL. You know, yep. maybe that's part of it. Maybe right tackle is part of it. Like what do you think is the kind of the defining reason that he maybe hasn't made the cut over some of these other guys? Those two, and also he played for the Bengals. And uh, no offense, you know, Bengals fans, but I mean, we all remember the late '90s, early 2000 Bengals were kind of a laughing stock, yeah. and and where that was where players went to go away and rot away. So I think when you're not on those winning teams. Like Jimbo was on the 85 Bears. So it's like, of course you remember him. He was on the Pitt Panthers that were iconic at that time, the late 70s, early early 80s Pitt Panthers. So the name recognition isn't there. And it's kind of, again, there's not, it's it's a position that you don't have a stat to fall back on. Oh, this guy played with for a terrible teams, but man, he had 10,000 receiving yards. You know, you can't just point at that. So you have to look at accolades and really memory of what the position was at that time. And that Anderson was, he, he was top of his game, but he just played for some crap teams. <laughs> and so I think that's what dings him a little bit. You got to remember that's, you know, sports writers voting on this. So, you know, they have some of that bubble of their own uh, when voting on these guys for the hall of fame. All right. You want me to do my offensive lineman here? Yeah. I pick Logan Mankins. I like that. Okay. I don't even know what his accolades are. Uh, so, a couple. Logan Mankins only made one first-team All-Pro, but he was voted second-team All-Pro five times. Okay. So, he was six times in 11 years he was first or second-team All-Pro. If you look at the guys who were voted ahead of him in a lot of those years, early on in his career... There were two guys playing guard in the NFL named Steve Hutchinson and Alan Fanica. <laughs> oh, that Steve Hutchinson guy's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 guards in the Hall of Fame. I can't believe there are more guards in the Hall of Fame than tight ends. That's insane. Okay. It is insane. 
there, there are 16 guards that are in the Hall of Fame. Steve Hutchinson and Alif Hanneker are two of those guards. So one-eighth of the Hall of Fame guards in the history of the league were in the league at the same time that Logan Mankins was playing guard for the Patriots. I think you can make an argument. And another guy that and we can make an argument for him, I actually was considering doing him, is Jari Evans, who yeah. made, he was a four-time first-team All-Pro, was a really good player for the Saints. I think you can make an argument for Evans being on this list as well, and maybe we'll do that next year. Evans is a good one. That, He's a good, good player, but I honestly yeah. think Logan Mankins was a better player for his entire career, like if you look back at it, you know, stuff that I would fight you on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was a really, really good player good. both yeah. ways. And he didn't get the same sort of first team acknowledgements that Jari Evans got. And you know, you know why? I honestly think it's because the Patriots weren't as successful during his career as they were during every other time in the Bill Belichick era. Do you know that Logan Mankins played for the Patriots for 10 years and he didn't win a Super Bowl? That's like a that's like more of an absurd stat than anything else you could have listed off right there. His rookie year was 2005, yeah, and his last year was 2013. Wow. So he, he got, got there a- the year after they won two, and he left the year before they beat the Seahawks. So he there- never won a Super Bowl. I was going to say, is there a Ewing theory? Like- <laughs> Logan Bacon's Ewing theory. But he was he was just an incredible player. I think you could make an argument that he yeah. was the best guard in the league for like a five all decade or six team. year period. He's on that's the all a, decade that's team. That's an accolade right there. I, yeah. I just I, I think that him and Evans probably you could make arguments for both of them getting this is in. a good one. But I, I just think that Logan Mankins, if you are arguably, you know, the second best player, third best player at your position for a yep. ten year stretch and you played on a defining team of that era, you were arguably the probably the second best offensive player over that 10 year stretch for the Patriots. You know, obviously Randy Moss and Wes Welker mm-hmm. had their few year stretches here and there, but over that decade, Logan Mankins was probably the second best offensive player on the Patriots when they were the best offense in football for that. Oh, if you look at the numbers over that 10 year stretch, he was after Tom Brady, the second best player on those teams. So yeah. I, I just think on several different levels, his career is worth celebrating. No, I like that. I, I think that is, that is a perfect kind of perf- person for the show because what, how you break it down, if you just glance at it, you go, oh, it's all nothing but second team all pros, but you got to realize who he's behind. And just because there's multiple good Second team all out, pros also really good. Really good. Top four at your position, you're in, you're out. Uh, the fact that he got it a year in, you're out too speaks that people are like, yeah, he is good. Just these other guys are good too. And that's fine. That, that is just, that's, that's just how it breaks sometimes. Sometimes there's a glut of talent at one position. Look at what's happening in defensive tackle right now. I'm just speaking like currently, but it's just, that's that's a good one. Uh, it's a really good one. Good, really, 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 really good player. And I do think he kind of should be Hall of Fame because, I mean, God, I'm just trying to even think who else was like kind of around that time that were like pro bullish. So, well, this this is a perfect example to me, okay? Logan Mankins, Logan Mankins has never been a finalist for the Hall of Fame. Vince, Vince Wolfork is a finalist for the Hall of Fame. Okay, Vince Wolfork has one first-team All-Pro. Yeah. And he has three second-team All-Pros. So he has fewer all pro accolades than Logan Mankins does. Yeah. Logan's Mankins went Logan Mankins went to seven Pro Bowls. Vince Wilfork went to five Pro Bowls. Vince Wilfork is not on the all decade team, but Vince Wilfork is a yeah. Hall of Fame semifinalist and Logan Mankins doesn't deserve to be. Right. And I don't, under, I don't understand that, that. Comparable numbers and like you can't look in, at eras differently. Vince Wilfork won two Super Bowls. But right. because Logan Makins played on the Patriots teams that didn't happen to win a Super Bowl, he doesn't get to be in the Hall of Fame. But still played on plenty of winning teams, yeah. I'm guessing, during that Patriot era. Uh, uh, one <laughs> of the five of the greatest offenses offense. of all yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So two of the best offenses ever. Uh, so, 
Yeah, uh, that's that's a good one. And that's when you start breaking it down like this. That's why it's fun because then you're going like, wait, why is this guy in? Like, yeah, why, why, wait, why? Because a lot of people remember they just go, oh, they were on the winning team. They had the, the those Super Bowl wins take a they they account for a lot for how people vote on this. It seems like and that's something I've realized more and more as we do this uh, kind of study every year. Uh, by the way, a couple of years from now, like two years from now, when we're doing this, uh, you better be ready for my Marshall Yonda argument when it comes. I saw his name up there. Uh, it's kind of like all pros and everything. <laughs> I'm I'm ready. I, that, I I've been my entire life has been building to that moment. <laughs> the yacht i know the yonder case will be an easy one for you. you you don't even have to do notes for it it's just all it's, it's all it's, in my you brain memorize yeah you got to memorize you're good you're all set Jar- jari evans definitely in the same conversation That's i think i think jari evans probably deserves to be in as well you can make a similar argument for him meg it's just the first place my mind went because i yeah. was you know looking at guys that haven't been a finalist and, and he hasn't been a finalist yeah no that's a good one like it's probably the best yeah and then like zach martin will will get in but like that's Walking. really like yeah walk it easy one and like nate newton it's like another one that kind of had like something kind of similar-ish career i guess but that's not in but there's other stuff <laughs> so no that's a good one that's a very good one zach martin zach martin has six first team all pros he's ridiculous what man a monster zach martin is <sighs> pros pro uh, how can you how can you not like zach martin it's kind of one of my, easily one of my favorite players <laughs> that i've ever watched And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, all right, you worried for my outlier one? Yeah, let's do all it. Right, all right. I get, so it's a can court. It's not just players, right? Can oh, I? Can I? Wow. Can Look I make a can? Yeah, I'm going with Mike Shanahan. And so you, I get, I know exactly the moment where this came up. You, we were doing a show the other day, and you were mentioning yep. Kyle Shanahan, and you said his dad is probably a Hall of Fame coach, and I could hear the light bulb go off the moment that then, you said that. That's exactly what happened. Because <laughs> then I went, wait, he's not. Uh, yeah, 170 wins, tied for 13th. Okay, so all right, all right. But let's let's list off some guys that he has more wins than Mike Shanahan, Paul Brown. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of him. Bud Grant, Joe Gibbs, Bill Cower, Tony Dungy, Hank Stram, Dick Vermeil. 
He's 110 more wins than Jimmy Johnson. Yes, I understand Jimmy Johnson's NFL coaching career was kind of short. He, he did it right. Uh, but uh, 110 more 110 more wins than Jimmy Johnson. But they have an equivalent win percentage and the same amount of Super Bowl wins. Okay. Nearly 50 more wins than Sid Gilman. Exact same win percentage. He's in the Hall of Fame. And I get it. That's AFL and all that. Oh, and also, get, Sid uh, Gilman is in there for innovation reasons. Innovation. And, and we can make a pretty good argument here. There it is. That's exactly where I was leading to. So not only we talk about iconic for players and everything, and sometimes iconic with coaches and their personalities and everything, but wouldn't a guy that has his fingerprints all over the NFL for, I mean, really what teams have been doing 30 for the past years decade. later. Yep. And I think that matters. Uh, I think that matters a lot. It absolutely when, matters. Yeah. I mean, Dick LeBeau's in because of his, you know, innovative blitzing schemes and everything. He got in like as an assistant. Uh, Shanahan's offense with Alex Gibbs, the offense, a longtime offensive line coach. What everybody is doing right now, it's it, it, you can go back to right there with the, the '90s Broncos teams and everything that came after it. It was truly innovative at the time. People ran zone before and outside zone before. No one leaned into it this much and cleaned up all the rules and everything about it. Body types, what you look at for each spot. Um, rules of engagement, depending on every front that you go against. The bootleg offense and passing game that came off it. The play action innovation. Well, that was that the cool thing, it. right? It was the combination of the West Coast offense with the zone running scheme. And, and it's because he came from the Niners, right? Yeah. He was a Niners offensive coordinator, at, like the truest blue West Coast team that yep. you could have. And then you combine that with what Alex Gibbs brought, and you got what felt like a new version of offensive football at that era. And it was. <laughs> it was. No one really com combined that. No one fully leaned into it like they did and cleaned up all just the other stuff that came up with the night. Like usually when teams would go, well, you can't do that because, you know, your offensive linemen are smaller and they can't, you can't drop back a bunch. Well, guess what? We were on a bunch of play action and bootlegs. No one leaned into bootlegs that much. They leaned into play action before, yeah. but not moving the quarterback that often and to tie it in with your run game that much. Again, the ideas right, were – everyone had similar or smaller versions of the ideas, but no one leaned into it that much. And the fact that I would say the last – not only just excluding Kyle Shanahan and his son and the other one, members of that tree, every offense runs some parts of what they were doing in the 90s. Some little parts. And there's other coaches we talk about in this light. Bill Walsh, of course, is the epitome of it in the West Coast offense. NFL becomes a little bit like this where it's everything gets distilled down. When everyone steals from each other, then the bad ideas get weaned out. You know, oh, okay, that doesn't work against this now. That The meta is bad, so you can't do that now. Now, what a lot of that base stuff that they were doing in the 90s, teams are still doing to this day, of course, with the sun, but everybody in the league. Of course, everyone from his Jerry trade, Kubiak I, was an offensive coordinator in the NFL two years ago. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> Just, but it's, so you're talking about impact in the 90s, impact in 2000s, everything in the past 30 years. Uh, you can point to a lot that came from those offenses in the 90s. And so I, I just think his impact and the fact that they won games, it's not the, you know, Air Coral, you know, Corey, like it's not that where it's like, oh, he was really innovative, but, you know, they won games, they, but they don't have the titles. He did win the titles, and I, I think that matters a lot. And also, just the players that got, you know, got so much better under his tenure. That speaks to what they were doing as well. So, I think Mike Shanahan should be in the Hall of Fame because it's kind of one of those like, if not him, then what are we doing? Because of just accolades and what and fingerprints on the game, and that's what should matter when we're talking about the Hall of Fame. It should be the the history book of the NFL, the history book of the game, and. You can't write it without Mike Shanahan. And I, I think that it's so important and that's why you should be in.
I mean, you don't have to sell me on this. I know. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's my favorite version of football. It's always been my favorite version of offensive football. And I, I didn't know it at the time why I loved watching those Broncos teams when I was like 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. But aesthetically, I just loved that version of it. And then, you know, it doesn't really trickle around the league, you know, for it takes about a decade for yes. the idea to hop from Denver somewhere else. And it's because Gary Kubiak and guys on that staff never got those jobs. Yeah. So then Gary gets the job in Houston in 2006, I believe and brings the offense to the Texans, and then that's where you see kind of the second iteration of it. Correct. And the ideas were really similar, right? So Mike Shanahan goes to Denver in 1995 and brings that offense, kind of conceives of that offense over those first couple of years in Denver. In 2008-2009, Kyle is the offensive coordinator for those Gary Kubiak Texans teams. Kevin Stefanski told me a story once where he was an assistant in Minnesota and they were doing like a uh, off season study. And he went and he watched all of the boots that the Texans ran during the, I think 2009 season. And they were just insanely productive on those plays. And at the time they were a West coast team. You know, Brad Childress Mm -hmm. was the offensive, was the head coach that, that Brad Childress brought Kevin Stefanski to Minnesota. It wasn't, he didn't come from the Gary Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan tree. He runs that stuff now. But Mm -hmm. when he was doing that study in 2009, so 14 years after Mike Shanahan got to Denver, decade and a half after the offense was introduced into the league, people are still crushing, teams are still crushing people with it because of how sound the ideas were. And so as, as, Stefanski's watching these cutups. He's like, this is amazing. Yeah. And he falls in love with it. And mm-hmm. so like that's that that version of football was so good and so sound and so effective that it kind of has this intoxicating effect that goes decades into the future. I mean, it transcends time almost. And I feel like that's why it's lasted as long as it has and that's why it's still as popular in the current iteration of it as it is today. Yeah. And I just it's I love it. I just have always loved it. It's my favorite version of offensive football. And I think the guy who conceived of that absolutely deserves to be celebrated in the history of the league. It, it was the outside zone, which is the basis of all of it, is just it's a run it run, meaning any scheme that you go against on the defense, it has an answer to. But someone has to come up with those rules. Yeah. They came up with the rules to make it work. And that, that speaks to that. It's funny, talking about Stefanski. So in 2011, I believe it was, I was at Wisconsin. We had a two-week break before summer workouts. And this is probably like so freaking illegal, but whatever. It's No one cares. Uh, so I, those two weeks, I basically did a little like two-week internship with the Bears staff uh, when my dad was there. And so Mike Martz was offense coordinator. And Shane Day was the quarterback coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, I was like, hey, I'm watch film. The, my dad's like, put him to work, put him to work, give him, give him a study to do. So one of them was like drop back depth and something like that. I didn't mark it all. And then one of them was watch Washington, watch all 16 games and tag all their bootlegs. Cause we like, cause it's so good. And what are the rules on it? And Paul Chris was my offense coordinator. And I told him I was going to be going down to Chicago and this is all separate. And he goes, Hey, can you watch Washington and see what their bootleg rules are and try and break it down? Maybe put a cut up for me. Again, 15 a- years after they started yeah. that offense in Denver. 15 years. Yes. That's when they finally got studied. Paul usually studied North Turner. 
you know, and now he's like, oh, what's this other stuff that these guys are doing? Because it was it was considered, and this is macho NFL, it was considered a finesse offense. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, it can't work. And then they realize, oh, everyone's going to speed. <laughs> and you need stuff that you can run no matter what the front is because everyone's changing up their front. So we need stuff that's sound and, and you can get gimmies. Like I always say, the easy button. That, that it was the kind of the, yeah, it was the starting point for all that. But I always just thought it was just... It was interesting that two separate staffs were like, hey, can you study this one offense? And that was before RG3 was there. It was it was the old school, true Shanahan stuff that they were doing. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my just kind of little sidebar story. Glad we get to remember somebody. Well, that's a lot of Houston Texans talk on the show so far. I, lo- I loved the 2009-2010 like, Houston Texans. It was my, my junior my, – I was in college when yeah. Gary Kubiak got to Houston. And I was watching a lot of football, a lot of football. Starting my sophomore year, we would go to this place called the Coliseum in Columbia, Missouri. And they had every single game on, and it was just a great college town sports bar. And we would watch all the games. I mean, just so we had everything on. So I'm sitting there watching the Houston Texans games as a sophomore in college the same way I would now. And again, just nothing brought me to those teams outside of just thinking the version of football they played was beautiful. Mm. Steve Slayton, you know, like those offensive lines were Chris Myers was the 265-pound yeah. center. It, they, I just loved watching them play. And I yeah. think that that's where the love of that type of offense, you know, kind of gets truly drilled yeah. down. And then watching Andre Johnson, it's just I really, really and, enjoyed those teams. And in its own way, like what we've seen with the NBA and the pace and space and everything, it, it was – you know, like the mid 2000 suns, like where you're just like, you could see the spark of ideas coming from this one kind of team. And I felt like that Texans team, I think that's what it was with that Texans team and Kubiak doing it. I think more teams are like, Oh, this is, you can copy and paste some of this. Like we, this is applicable to what we do. And I think that that's why that Texans team is kind of in its own way, like had a lot more impact on the NFL than I think people realize even today. Well, cause Kyle was there. And then yeah. so then Kyle's in Washington, and then from like twenty seven year old offensive coordinator, yeah, still he was twenty seven, twenty eight, and then he goes from Washington, obviously, and yep. then, and he get, they get fired in Washington in twenty thirteen. He goes to Cleveland, he goes to Atlanta, and those guys that he had with him in Atlanta, those yep. are the guys that are everywhere. Matt Lafleur, <laughs> Mike McDaniel. I mean, it's we, we know the story. You know, we know all those guys that were on that two thousand twelve Washington football staff, and now that version of football, you know. It's the meta <laughs> that, go, that goes through many different lenses, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's distilled through your personnel each time, but that is the dominant offensive system in the NFL currently. I've I've uh, the line I've taken to is that those guys all translate it, and the Shanahan's have their Rosetta Stone. Yeah, like they have the original version, and everyone else translated through their own lens and how they their own dialect. And uh, I think that's that's kind of how I look at it. It's it's really cool. What I love about the copycat nature of the NFL is how people tweak stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's fun when you see the same concept and you're like, ooh, that's interesting. And that's where that's where the innovation comes from. There's only so many ways you can run the football and throw the football. But it's cool when people put their own fingerprints and impact on it. All right. Thus ends our two-episode Remember Some Guys stretch of the athletic football show summer. I do love doing these, though. It's a perfect awesome. time to do them, perfect time to celebrate and remember some players from years past. We'll be excited to throw Steve Smith and potentially Jari Evans into the 2024 class for the Get hall. The work prep. For the Canton <laughs> court. Yeah, now i got a year to think about it, so we'll be ready yeah. to roll. For now, guys, that is all we have. Sincerely appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.